get started. Uh, if you all would, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, we'll get going with the main service, which <clears throat> sometimes feels like there's not much of a difference. There is. Uh, the good thing is, is that it all intertwines together, so it kind of works out that way. But What we've been doing for the past... What uh, six weeks, now seven, is we're looking at that phrase that Paul uses, I would not have you ignorant brethren, right? Uh, One of the things that we've kind of mentioned before is one of the largest denominations in the world is ignorant brethren, which is an unfortunate thing. Um, And (laughs) a lot of that stuff comes from being ignorant of what Paul's dealing with here, right? So we come up, this is the fifth, so that phrase shows up six times. This is the fifth one that we're looking at, all right? So, of course, next week we'll take a look at the very last one, and then we'll move on to a, a new series after that, um, which I've got a bunch a bunch of ideas planned, so we'll see where we go after this. But what I want us, what I want us to look at today, notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> Scripture reads, For we would not, brethren... Have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life? But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that the simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, and by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you word. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end, as also ye have acknowledged in us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And this confidence I was minded to come unto you before, that ye might have a second benefit. And he goes on down from there. Father, we thank you once again for your word. Uh, that we have it, that we can read it, that we can trust it in everyday life. In the details of life, we can take your word and find something to help us through. Uh, as as we take a look at, at what Paul and those folks went through in Asia, may we be rejoicing in the fact that they were able to get through them through your word and that we can take that same information and apply it to our lives that we might be able to deal with whatever troubles may come that your grace might be exalted, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We thank you for this day, we thank you for your word, and we thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, what Paul starts off, notice in verse 1 it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother. So when he says in verse 8, for we would not have, for we would not, brethren, have ye ignorant, He's talking about him and Timothy both, right? And he's saying, we don't want you to be ignorant of what's going on. 
what we went through specifically in Asia. Notice, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Now, what I want us to do, let's go back real quick. Go to Acts chapter 16. And we'll, we'll pick up some things there and then we're going to go and find out some stuff. And we kind of touched on this the last time. So again, like I said, this stuff overlaps. Okay? Notice here in Acts chapter 16, <clears throat> let's just look at um, let's just look at verse verse 6. And notice there's some things that's taking place. At the very beginning, we find out that Paul finds Timothy here in chapter 16. But notice in verse 6, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were, for, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. All right? So there's a point where he, Paul wants to go to Asia and he's forbidden of the Holy Spirit to do so. But we get over here to Acts chapter 19 and he actually goes. All right? So when we pick up over here in Acts chapter 19, this is where he goes. And it's, it's interesting when, when we go through here and see these things, He's bringing up Timothy, right? We read that over in, in 2 Corinthians. We find out there that that's who he's with. Well, what church was Timothy the pastor of? The church at Ephesus, right? So then when we go through here, keep those things in mind. Verse 8, Acts chapter 19, verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of three years, or two years, so that, they, that, that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, what's interesting here, you think about how big Asia is. Paul spent two years there, and he would stay in a place for three months, and he said, this is what I did for two years. And what's the result? That what? So that all, the, all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. So you remember the last session we talked about that evangelism. Paul would go to the cities. He says, everybody in Asia has heard the word. Two years he took up. <laughs> he, got, he got everybody in Asia he heard the word. That's amazing. And you think how big Asia is. But notice, there were some, we already see in verse 8, there were some folks who were hardened, right? And they believed not but spake evil of them, right? Notice, drop down to verse 11. We start, seeing, we start seeing some miracles by the hands of Paul. Notice, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jew, and, a, and, a, and, and, the, and chief of the priests, which did also. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, 
Here's what's interesting, but who are ye? <laughs> to me, I find that interesting. But notice <clears throat> verse 16. And the man in, which, in, in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which, uh, which used uh, curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and what? Prevailed. And we've talked about this before and I've heard John Verstegen say this before and I was like, I like that. What happens here is you let the word of God do the work of God. This is what, this is what takes place. All of Asia heard it, and the Word of God what? Grew and prevailed. It's going to do the work. All we've got to do is just go put it out. And go put it out. Verse 21. After these, were in, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he went, into he went into Macedonia, two of them, he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, notice, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Now, one of the things that's really interesting, we've talked about, um, you know, when we were going through uh, the series, uh, dealing with, with, with everything that's going on uh, with, with the book of Revelation and all that, when, when Satan is bound into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, then he's let loose for a little season, right? So we've talked about that, and I've always wondered, what's a little season? How long is that? So I've been studying that out, and I'm, I think I'm getting close to something. We'll talk about that. But notice what he says here. He says, but Paul himself stayed in Asia for a season. There's a period of time that's, that's put to that. Now, we won't get into that because that's something we'll, we'll talk about later on. But I want you to notice what happens during this season that Paul stays in, in, in Asia Verse 23, this is what he's talking about. So when he's telling the folks in Corinth, I don't want you to be ignorant of the stuff that we went through, the stuff, the problems that we had, here's, here's where he's talking about. And again, we talked about these a little bit with those dumb idols that, that, that he talked about in Corinthians, right? And the same time, there arose no small stir. Now, when you think of that, it's not just, you know, instead of saying there's a big blowout, he says what? There, there arose no small stir about that way. That's a way of putting it. Something big happens. And we'll see this as we go down through here. Notice. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. Now again, he used, and it's interesting that Luke uses that there's no small stir, and then he talks about that there's that, that this guy brought no small gain. He's saying there's a big stir, and there's there's this guy, Demetrius, he's making a whole bunch of money. Right? Unto the craftsman, verse 25, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear 
that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So you've got this guy, Demetrius. He gets together with all the, all the silversmiths and all these craftsmen and says, we've got some problems. You know, this is how we make our money. And you've got this guy who's out here preaching, saying the, the things that we create are what? Are no gods. And of course, this is right on the heels of what he was doing with over at Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, right? The same kind of thing. But he's saying what? You all know this is how we make our money. And it's not just in Ephesus, but it's throughout almost throughout all Asia. What's happened? Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people from what they're actually doing. So you remember, and you tie this back to what we talked about before. Paul what? He would go in and evangelize, and then he would bring people to the knowledge of the truth. And one of those things that people would be brought to the knowledge of the truth is what? Those little trinkets and little things, they're no gods, they're dumb idols, they can't speak, they can't hear, they can't do anything for you. All they do is collect dust. And so these guys are saying, that's going to cause us a problem because if people aren't worshiping Diana and all these other things, they're not going to come buy these trinkets because, I mean, you think about, you think about all the religions out there in the world that they worship their little trinkets. We were, when we were down in, in Florida a few months ago, we were at a church, um, you know, and they had the, the, the candles up there. And you would light the candle. And the candle allowed your prayer to be heard by God. You think about that. Paul says in Romans 5 that we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We don't have access through something. We have access through Christ. So when we pray, we don't have to hope that God hears it. We know for a fact that God hears it. And we can speak to our Father each and every day without anybody else. But these guys, what they're doing here is they're following that religious system and saying, if you want to have a relationship with God, you have to come through us and we'll give you the little trinket that allows you to get there. And Paul is telling them, and you see it back over in Acts 17. you got this shrine built to the unknown God. He says, I'm going to declare unto you who that is. It's the God who created heaven and earth. And He's not worshipped with man's hands. Or He's not worshipped with temples built by man's hands. He's worshipped through studying the Scriptures. That's the issue. And if you've got that book, you don't need anything else. You know, again, Colossians 2.10, we're complete in Him. Where do you find that? You find that in the book. But notice... <clears throat> Verse 27, So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, he's saying, we're going to lose our job. The one way we make money, we're going to lose it. But also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. He's worried about these man-made things because the man-made things are based off and created off of man's wisdom. When, and, and when we go back to Genesis chapter 3, 
the whole issue there, you know, we talked about the last time about how, how, they, how they followed after these dumb idols as they were led. And we talked about not always being led is by God. It's by these, this, this system that's out there. That system was set up way before you and I came on the scene. It's been going on since Genesis chapter 3, and it's actually been going on before that. You know, when you go back in Isaiah and, 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 and uh, Ezekiel and you find out about Lucifer, and he was trafficking this lie that you should worship the creature more than the Creator, and angels fell for it. And he goes and he traffics the exact same thing to Adam and Eve, and they fall for it. And it's that human viewpoint and that human wisdom. He sets up and says, this is more important than God's wisdom and God's viewpoint. What I say goes. What we say goes. That's what these guys are worried about losing. And it's not because they're holy. It's because they're going to lose money. That's what they're afraid of. But notice, keep on going. That the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were like, it's okay. What's it say? They were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the, of the Ephesians. Do you know what they're doing? They're saying, we're going to go after this guy and we're going to glorify Diana. They're not doing it out of love. They're not doing it because they know... It's what? They're full of wrath because they're losing money. They're going to lose their job. And that's what they're losing. Notice. Verse 29. And the whole city was filled with confusion. We talked about that the last time, right? What does, what does that, that, that worshiping pr- produce, that false worshiping, what's it produce is confusion. That idle stuff produces confusion. We read the last time, God is not the author of confusion. We were talking earlier about when you actually get to the point where you actually understand how to study your Bible, all those pieces start fitting. You're like, man, all of a sudden this book opens up in a way that you've never thought possible. I never understood this verse until I read it and understood it according to how God's designed His book to be understood and read. And so then what happens is what? And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. You know what they're doing? They're setting up a, an ambush. We're going to get all these guys in. We're going to bring Paul in, let him come in, do what he always does, which is preach. And then what are we going to do? We're going to pounce on him. Notice. But what happens? The disciples suffered him not. Said, don't go. Verse 31. By the way, when you think back to Acts chapter 16, it said the Holy Spirit suffered him not to go to Asia. But Paul says, I want to go to Asia. I'm going to go preach the gospel when he does. Now, one of the things you could take from that is, you know, a little bit later on, Paul's probably got some more information 
that allows him to go into Asia. And he's not suffered to go. He's allowed to go. And that's, that, we'll bring that up maybe as we go through. But notice, and certain of the chief of Asia, verse 31, <clears throat> which were his friends, sent unto him desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. There, you got one guy back here saying something, another guy saying something else, and you got the third person saying, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm just here because a crowd of people showed up. Have you ever been in a line, you see people, and you're like, hey, what's this line for? Like, I don't know, I just saw a line, so I got in. I've, I've been in that line, and I was like, why, why are you here? But that's the thing. So you got these people, there's just so much confusion that one guy's there, and he doesn't even understand why he's there. He's just like, I'm just showing up because I saw a big crowd. Notice, <clears throat> verse 33. What, what, I, what I find interesting about the verse 32, it says, and the more part knew not why they were there. <laughs> the majority of the people had no idea why they were there. Verse 33. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude. The Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with a hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, with all one voice about the space of two hours, cried out, Great is Diana the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. You know what they're doing? We're all here. We're here to worship Diana. And if you want to do something different, keep your mouth shut. No, I notice that's what he's saying, right? <clears throat> Seeing that these things cannot be spoken against, Yet ought to be ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. He's saying we're here for a reason, and you don't need to speak out against it. Just follow in line. That's what religion's all about. Do you know a group of people that will say, "We'll translate the Bible for you, and we'll tell you what it means." You don't need to go and study it. We'll tell you what it means. If you want to know what something is, come talk to me, and I'll tell you what it means. That's this stuff. It's not new. It's been around for ages and for generations. It's a, it's a mockery of what God's actually doing, which, you know, we've talked about before. The fact that you have questions, ask. We'll talk about it. I'm not going to say be quiet. Verse 37. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen were with him, have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we endanger to be called... In question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this, of this concourse 
And when he had thus spoken, he dis- he dismissed the assembly. So what's interesting is, you keep on going, notice in chapter 20, verse 1. And after the uproar was ceased, again, it's not some small stir. Here he tells us it was an uproar. So when the uproar had ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go to Macedo- into Macedonia. And then he goes down through there. Um, what's interesting is, is right around this time in chapter 20, verse 1, 2, and 3, You've got Paul writing the book of Romans and Paul writing the book of 1 Corinthians, which is really interesting. And so then in 2 Corinthians, where we are, he's reminding those folks of the stuff that they went through here in Asia. They had people who were trying to get him to get his life. Go back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8. And I want you to think about this in context of what he's talking about in the previous verses. Notice this real quick. Um, Start off in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, under the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia, in all Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of what? All comfort. So this is the backdrop of which he's going to talk to them about the things that they went through in Asia. Who comforteth us, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. You remember we talked about the last time how when one person in a local assembly suffers, we all suffer with them. And when they rejoice, we rejoice with them. That's what he's dealing with here. And he's talking about this is how it's going to work. We go through things. What it does is it prepares us to go and help other people when they go through the same things. And I promise you, you know, as, as Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that, that I've gone through, you all have probably gone through too and vice versa. There's, there's never anything new that we've not dealt with before or some version of it that one of us that, that hasn't. But notice that here's the purpose. We, God comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You notice it's not... God's going to get you out of that tribulation and say, well, you're not going to have to go through it. But He's going to comfort you through that. And we'll see some verses here in a little bit. But notice, keep on going. Verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Now, That salvation there isn't the salvation from the debt penalty of sin. It's the salvation of the things that we go through. We're going to be able to get through those things because somebody else in the local assembly has gone through them and they can help us through. Here's the verses that I went through and I dealt with as I went through that. And what it does is it saves us from those situations. Through them, really. We're not, you know, we'll look at this in a minute. One of the things that we get to do and this is always tough for people, one of the things we get to do is suffer with Christ. 
we'll look at that verse here in a minute. But notice. And whether we, we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. If you're going through the sufferings, guess what? You're going to get the consolation too. Know that. And then he says what? For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Notice that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. That's the issue. Where do we put our faith? Not ourselves, not in what we can do, not us getting out of the situation. Real quick, go over to Philippians chapter 1. What, what we get to do, we know that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope that we are not ashamed, right? We know that Romans chapter 5, we understand some of those things. And we'll take a look at something else that goes along with that here in a second. But I want you to notice this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. Notice. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, that brings up a whole other issue that we won't get into, but that's, that's a, that phrase, becometh, is, is an interesting thing. Notice. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. You did Man. Thanks a lot. I'm glad. I'm glad somebody was like, "Wait a minute." I heard murmuring behind you. So no, I, just me. I heard. Uh, I heard murmuring, murmurings too. So okay. So we're all good. Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-seven. It's about time y'all followed. Anyway, verse twenty-seven. My apologies. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent. I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Now, of course, this goes back to what we're talking about in, in Philippians 2 because that same thought process, the one mind and the one, one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which to them is an evident token of perdition. Now, what's interesting is you look at that and you all probably had this before, and I know I've had folks come up to me. The reason you're going through that is because you're out of the will of God. That's what he saying. They say, they look at those, that's an evident token of perdition. You're out of the will of God, that's why you're going through stuff. There's three reasons why we go through things. One, because we live in a sin-cursed world. Bad things will happen. Just because we live in a sin-cursed world. Cancer, AIDS, whatever it is, whatever you put out there in the world, the reason that stuff exists is because we live in a sin-cursed world. And the thing about that is, is it's random who gets it. The other thing is, we're going we're gonna to go through things just because we make 
bad decisions. Or somebody else makes bad decisions. Some guy decides to get drunk, get behind the wheel, and smashes into somebody else. We suffered because that person made a bad decision. Third thing is, is because we are going to suffer for Christ. Now, there's this issue out there that says, if you suffer, then you get some extra rewards. That's not what it is. Notice why. Look here. Verse 28 and verse 29, we'll get to the 29. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ. This is a gift that's given to us that what? Not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Have you ever thought about suffering for His sake as a gift? Because that's what it says, right? It is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. That's part of the deal that we get. Like I said, there's this whole thing out there that says if you suffer enough, then you'll get extra stuff or whatever. We're all going to because we're in Christ. That's, that's, that's part of the package deal. <laughs> but how we look at them, that's a whole other issue. Right? Um, real quick, let's go to... Uh, grab, grab 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Did I say 1 Corinthians? Yeah. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll look at 1 Corinthians first. Now, this is on the heels of what we talked about about the one of the, the, the would not have you ignorant brethren that Paul brings up. But notice in verse 10. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now he's taking us back to those folks who were following after Moses, and they said, well, we don't want to follow Moses. We're going to go do our own thing type thing and all that. Verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Notice, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You read that verse. If I go through something, is that because I've got some special testing? No. What we go through is just as common to man. But notice, here's, here's the issue. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape. Notice, there's not a period there. How is it that He's made it possible for us to escape is what? That ye may be able to bear it. How do we bear it? That thinking process. How is it that we go through those things? What's interesting is He brings this in. He says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there. 
the you know we we've talked about this before and and I would say you know up until the last couple of years or so I would I would say I would be part of it there's a lot of stuff in the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis that we don't really think of a lot of times and the connections that idolatry has to going through stuff because you know we we think we're going through stuff because God's punishing us or that because that's one of the things he's dealing with there Another thing is what um, the 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 fornication and all those things, all that stuff's connected back to that idolatry stuff, and we don't really think about all those things. So, like all the all the stuff that we see that's going on in our country now, the reason why is because our country has gone so far away from this book. They've got idols that they're worshiping, and all that stuff comes from the, that idol worshiping. The the. The idea that we're going through problems because we're out of the will of God and God's going to beat you and smite you and bring you down to, to make you understand that you're out of His will. That, that's that's that what He says over in, in, in Acts 17, talking about the fact that you're too superstitious. You think God is this little thing that just manipulates stuff. But He's not. But it's interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Here's, here's one of those things that we think about oftentimes, but notice, notice there's something. So Paul knows what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you read that list of all the stuff that he went through. And it's interesting because you can see that there are things that he did that, that he went through that he suffered for Christ. There are things that he went through that were just common to man. And there were things that he, willing to spend and be spent, went through. And you can go through there and see those things. And you, you can match that up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. But notice here, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's start off in verse 6. Now, this is, this is where we talked about earlier about Paul talking about he sees a guy, he knows a guy who went up to the, he was caught up to paradise, that third heaven. Verse 6, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now I want to pause there for just a second. The interesting thing about that phrase, thorn in the flesh, what I was kind of taught growing up is Paul had an eye problem because the light, he had scales and all that stuff, but God took that away. So I don't see that. And people will go over to Galatians and say, and he says, you see how large a letter that I wrote? And they'll say, see, he had, to, he had an eyesight problem. He had to draw real big letters. He doesn't say, you see how large letters I wrote. He says, you see how large a letter. When you study out scripturally what the thorn in the flesh is, you go back to Joshua 23 and Numbers 23 and Ezekiel 28, and you find out that it's people that don't like what you're doing. They're going to come after you and kill you. So scripturally, the thorn in the flesh is these people are going to... What, he's, what he was dealing with in Asia was that thorn in the flesh. The people that despised what he was teaching were coming after him. 
what he what we read over in 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 in, in, ch- in chapter eleven is some of those things are part of that. So when we go through here and we see this, <clears throat> that's the thing. There are groups of people that did not they despise what he taught, and they were trying. We just read it over in, in Acts chapter nineteen, right? They said we're going to get him into the theater and we're going to go in. And we're going to get him. But notice verse eight. For this thing, this thorn in the flesh, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. So he's saying what? Lord, take this away. Take this away. Take this away. We know somebody else that prayed three times, right? Garden of Gethsemane. What was Christ's response at the very end is what? Not my will, but thine be done. And he went and he faced that stuff in spite of knowing what was going to happen. And he says, I'm going to gladly go there. And we see the exact same thing show up in Paul. Notice. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. That grace that we read over in Romans chapter 5, that we have access to that grace by faith into this grace that we stand. He says that grace is something that you can access each and every day, no matter what you're going through. And he says you have access to that. And Christ tells him, my grace is sufficient for thee. Why? For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Remember we talked about earlier in in Philippians 2, Christ humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to become weak. And his strength was made perfect there. And his strength would be made perfect in our weakness as well. Continue. What's Paul's response? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may what? Rest upon me. I'm not going to try and go do these and get rid of this stuff. He says, I'm going to glory in these infirmities. No matter what I go through, I'm going to glory in these things and I'm going to go through this stuff knowing that what? His strength is made perfect in weakness. His grace is sufficient. And he says, I'm going to glory in this that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Not me trying to do it myself. That's always a tough place to be, to think. I'm going to glory in that. Not only that, but verse 10. Therefore, based on that, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying, I know that when I go and I believe the book that I have in front of me, no matter what this world brings along, what I can do is I can go to this Scripture and I know His power will get me through. His grace will get me through. And I'm not going to ask to get this taken away to go away, but He says, I'm going to be able to bear it. That's how I'm going to suffer through it. I'm going to bear it. And what's going to happen is, God gets the glory. His life being put on display in this body that we say we're going to present it as a living sacrifice that we're going to put it on the line each and every day for each other and for Him. And what that does is it glorifies what He did on the cross. And that's an amazing thing because a lot of times we just think, well, He's going to get glory out there in the ages to come. 
but he can get it now today as well through those things. We look at stuff that goes that we go through and we say, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let your power rest on me. His strength. What he does. His word being the final authority in all things. And when we go through stuff, we read the verses. We go read the verses. And what happens is we continue reading and we're going to find something that we're going to say, there it is. That's the thing that I can apply to this particular situation that I'm going through right now. And if I don't, I'll find somebody else that has and they'll give me the verse that got them through it. It says that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to glory in those things because Christ gets the, Christ is going to be the one that gets that. Because it's His power, it's His might, it's His Word working in and through me to produce that. So that when, when we get back over here to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of all this stuff. Here's some great things that's going to come out of that. I can tell you about what took place for us in Asia. Notice, go back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll finish up. <clears throat> And we'll see this working together. Verse, verse, verse 10. Talking about God who raiseth the dead in the context on this verse right here. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that, we, that He will yet deliver us. Notice, ye also helping together by prayer for us. That is the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons. Thanks be given by many on our behalf. Notice, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. We talked about it before. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8, Paul talks about that in me last... I saw Christ last. And a little bit later on, verse 10, he talks about what? I am, for by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he talks about, I labored more than all the apostles that came before me. And it's not me, yet not I, but it's Christ. That was his mindset in everything. And he's saying, you can have that same mindset too. And that's what he's doing. And there, you notice there in verse 11, ye also helping together by prayer for us. You know, there's a lot of folks out there that say that we don't believe in prayer. We do. We just don't believe in the false stuff that you do, probably. Prayer is an important thing in the life of all believers. It's the way that we can communicate with our Father and recite back to Him the doctrine that we've got stored up in us so that when we go through those things, we think, that's the verse. Those are the verses. And we can recite the doctrine that's built up in us. If we don't have doctrine built up in us, we can't recite it. That's why Paul says over in Romans 8, here's an infirmity. We know not what we should pray for as we ought. Get in the book and find out what to pray for, how to pray. And then when stuff comes, we've got the verses to fall back on. 
Let the Word of God do the work of God. So when we come through here and Paul's reminding them about the, the, the issues and the trouble that he went through at Asia, what it comes down to is it's not, it's not our, our wisdom or anything like that. It's the grace of God. And it was our conversation as we walked through the life based on that information that we have. And I would submit to you that the same way that he got through it, we can get through whatever comes our way. I guarantee you, we don't have too many people trying to get us and lure us to a theater to get us. But we stand by the book, we stand for the book. Because in that and that alone, we find our life. Father, we thank you again for the time that we have to study your word. May we, may we leave knowing and understanding that it's not just words written down on a page, but it's life, and it's your life. That if we rely on that and that alone, that no matter what comes, we know that we can rely on your word, and we know that we can rely on your grace, and we know that we can rely on your power. That we can bear it. And you receive all the glory and honor for that. We thank you again for this day. We thank you for your word. And we thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.